0: Hello, and welcome to The Joe Mobley Show. I'm your host, Joe Mobley, and you're listening to the only place in cyberspace where we talk about being conservative. We hit on current events, the politically correct cancel culture, and problems with civil discourse. But most importantly, we discuss what you can do to come out of the conservative closet. The Joe Mobley Show is a new and exciting podcast that airs weekly on Monday mornings. We have a range of controversial topics on deck. Even so, it's important that we hear from you what matters most. Be sure to send questions, comments, and things you'd like to hear discussed to ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. That's ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. To make sure you stay informed on the latest content, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Welcome back to The Joe Mobley Show. Today we're joined by journalist Kenny Hsu. Kenny's work can be found in prominent publications such as The Federalist, The Daily Signal, and more. He has a book coming out this summer called An Inconvenient Minority, The Ivy League Admissions Cases, and the Attack on Asian American Excellence. Kenny, how are you today? Doing great, Joe. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure. i um, very glad to connect with you. As you can imagine, I, I send a lot of uh, messages out into cyberspace and Twitter and LinkedIn. And mm-hmm. I imagine many of them don't get read, but I'm very excited to have connected with you. i excited to learn a little bit more about your book and your background and uh, have an awesome interview. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Many of the listeners probably aren't too familiar with what's gone on in recent years with Harvard, also with other um, Ivy League schools, but specifically with Harvard and the students for fair admissions. Um, can you tell us a little bit uh, about that and how that led to you ultimately writing this book? Sure. So,
1: you know, I was I was raised in a uh, you know highly educated community, everybody was thinking about what colleges they wanted to get into. everybody wanted to you know go to the best college, obviously. Um, so Harvard was kind of the pinnacle of where a lot of our status ideas came from. And you know when this case unearthed where Asian Americans were suing Harvard for discriminating against them, in the name of diversity, they wanted to bring in more black and Hispanic students, but in doing so they discriminated against Asian American students. They actually Asian Americans have to get higher test scores and grades just to get into have the same chance of admissions as other minorities. Um, And that intrigued me, obviously, you know, it kind of intersected with where I was in my place in life. And so I did a little work on it. I did some writing on it and eventually I became, you know, the lead insider on this issue. And, um, and, and exploring these these issues um, about race and society and about some of the contradictions and some of the narratives that are going on in society today.
0: It's super interesting. I think when people think um, discrimination, they don't typically think um, Asian Americans, and I, I've seen these videos. I, I'm obviously black, uh, you're obviously Asian, but even I've seen these videos online mm-hmm. where people are saying absurd stuff like you can't be racist against Asians or you can't be... Uh, I've seen you can't be racist against uh, white people as well. Yeah. It's just... It's kind mm-hmm. of crazy. It's kind of crazy that this is going on. Um <clears throat> So mm-hmm. what?
1: Well, what's, what's your thought on the, on the whole issue and kind of, you know, cause I know that, you know, this is, this is, this form of, I guess, racial preferences is supposed to be used to help black and, and Hispanic Americans. So um, how does, how do you think that? You I think the whole it?
0: thing's Absurd. Um, yeah, it's funny. I spoke off-air uh, with one of my last guests, uh, Pat and Dave Brown, about this very thing. Yeah, and I don't see that these policies. I think affirmative action is an area where the Supreme Court got it wrong. Um, I don't think the policies help anyone. Um, so, if if we drill down to, let's say, Harvard Law, this is kind of what happens. Uh, same thing that happens with Special Forces. If you lower the bar or if you don't lower the bar, if you leave the bar and just say certain people get special dispensation, in this case, we'll say uh, black Americans can get in with lower test scores. Immediately, the effect that it had was they were failing Mm -hmm. out, Um, especially Harvard Law. I I feel like Harvard Law is Mm -hmm. raising the bar an additional level, you know, One, just again, Harvard, but their law school is probably one of the most prestigious institutions out there. So initially they were failing out, uh, which is hard, Mm -hmm. hard data. Um, Then if you get to the professors and you start Mm -hmm. saying, oh, well, now we're going to get rid of standardized testing and maybe we'll get rid of grading altogether. Everyone will just pass or fail. Mm -hmm. And of course, the black students will pass. Then they get out into the real world and it's the firms. Either they're not going to be hired by the firm. Or they're going to get into the firm and struggle yeah. because they're not the caliber of a Harvard law grad. Um, anyway,
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, that's what I think. And I
1: and go ahead. No, I see that. I see that going on in society. I see. I don't see a way that these race preferences help any race. Um, I, there, I mean, for the reasons that you described it definitely embitters a lot of Asian Americans, that's for sure, because many of them, you know, work hard to be academically excellent and simply because of characteristics that they cannot control, they are um, discriminated against. Um, But I also think even when you're discriminating towards a certain minority, say a, a certain black minority and those kinds of things, there are lingering effects of that that happen as well. Like you were saying, Um, there are statistics that show that black STEM majors who are very promising candidates in general, um, but who are because of race preferences elevated into a certain, um, into classes that they are not as qualified for, uh, they actually tend to get discouraged with their major and many of them actually switch out of their majors. Um, these are STEM people, people who want to be, you know, doctors, people who want to you know, be engineers and those kinds of things. Where in fact, if they were actually put into classes that actually fit their level of rigor, if they were actually put into institutions that fit their level of rigor, they would have had a better time uh, in performance and everything like that. So it's just, it's a very, it's a a tough, it's a sensitive situation, but it's also one that I think is worth speaking out about for the benefit of everyone. Yeah,
0: yeah, I agree. I agree. It doesn't, it's almost like, who does this help? If we're going to rubber stamp law degrees from Harvard. And that doesn't help firms. It doesn't help future uh clients of these lawyers. It mm-hmm. doesn't help black students or otherwise brown students. Um yeah, I, I think it's
1: mm-hmm.
0: I think we're seeing it in the workforce. Um and just in college in general, kind of another soapbox, I guess. Uh but a lot of institutions are just kind of like, oh now it's the yeah. thing to do is to go to college and Um, you know, I've worked with people over the years that have degrees, some that have advanced degrees and their, uh, their reading and writing is very poor. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, (laughs) it seems like a little bit of rubber stamping is going on here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, this is, it kind of links back into one of the subjects of my book, which is meritocracy, right? It's, It's, well, when you want to create a culture of excellence in this country, right, you want the best qualified people to be in the positions with the most responsibility. That helps our culture of excellence. That helps our businesses. That helps our nonprofits. That generally helps things and makes things better. Um, But in our culture today, it's very interesting. You have these elite colleges and elite institutions Elite colleges is, is a prime example, but also elite businesses like Google, Facebook, who have all of this money, all of this money. Harvard is a forty billion dollar endowment. Google obviously makes so much money, adding new people into their workforce. Uh, they already and and people like Google, they already have the engineering capacity to keep their, their money-making product. Google is 90% of their revenue comes from search and, or not, maybe not 90%, but a, a significant portion of their revenue comes from search where they pretty much have already gotten the algorithm down. It makes them a ton of money. And the engineers who do all of that stuff are predominantly Asian or Asian American. So they can afford to hire a number of different people for basically any reason um, and so this diversity and inclusion movement comes about, and they say, "Well, you need more equity, and you need to hire more people of certain races." And so they say, "Okay, well, we can afford it. I guess we can. Uh, we we can we can do it on the basis we can do it, and definitely diversity is a significant factor in making that person's hiring. So they can afford to do these things." Uh, so to speak. Um, but does it really help advance that person's career? Does it really put them in positions to succeed? My research shows that it's, it's a mixed proposition.
0: I'd be curious uh, to see and hear some of that because I've always said, no, no, it will not. I don't think it helps yeah. anyone. And, you know, on the face, there's yeah. There's the Civil Rights Act violation, um, which really comes to fruition if one of these organizations is is successful. Um, If if you think about it, one, because life isn't cookie cutter, we don't have uh, 50 percent men, 50 percent women in any country. We don't have, you know, a quarter black, a quarter white. And then you just have to pick two other races because, you know. We need everything in these nice little quarters. If you had Mm -hmm. that, if if you had a company and you've got a thousand people, half of them are men, half of them are women, uh, if a guy quits, retires, whatever, you have to post an illegal job posting. Um, If it were me and I left your company, you would have to post a posting for a black man. And it's absurd.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and it, this this
1: stretches back 50 years, Joe. Um, this stretches back all the way to Lyndon B. Johnson, to what he did with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Now, obviously, we all recognize the Civil Rights Act of 1965, um, great law, well passed, exploited by the federal government, oftentimes, exploited by Johnson's administration. They created a, a commission that basically subjected companies to hiring quotas to hiring racial quotas uh, and maybe there was good reason to do it back then maybe there is really good reason to do it back then because you know blacks face legal discrimination in that period of time but I'm just telling you where this where this comes from in a corporate sense so these businesses these big companies you know they were faced with okay we have to hire a certain percentage of minorities especially black minorities or we're going to get an audit now nobody wants an audit so they um, hire these affirmative action compliance managers, and these compliance managers um, basically help to you know help them to withstand legal questions or criticism against them or a possible lawsuit against them. And this is where the whole idea of hiring based on race really became well entrenched into our system today. Um, it's, and, and, you know, and Harvard's college admission system is just the, I guess you would call the extreme outgrowth of that. Um, and they justify it for all sorts of reasons. And I break down in my book, all of their justifications and why all of their justifications are lacking, um, but this is where it fundamentally comes So
0: from. Obviously I, I haven't read the book yet. It hasn't come out, <laughs> but uh, I'm anxious to get my hands on it. Um, yeah, you're
1: right.
0: you know, you, you mentioned meritocracy, Thanks. which is so basic, so basic. Sure. The listening audience just, you, you get, <laughs> you know, what you get mm-hmm. is based on the level of effort. Also your level of success. Um, so since I hadn't had a chance to read the book. I, I, I mm-hmm. went to a bunch of other resources, and I think PragerU is a great one of those resources. Uh, Lee Cheng did a yeah. video with them where he's talking about the Harvard case mm-hmm. um, and digging into their admissions practice and yeah. meritocracy. Meritocracy is the gold standard for I don't know admissions to a university, but Harvard, at least public facing, they say that they have. Mm-hmm. their their big three, academic achievement, extracurricular achievements, or academic performance rather, extracurricular achievement, and then what they call personal qualities, which is that catch-all, you know, who the heck knows what all goes in there. So it seems clear in the data uh, that Asian Americans blow it out of the water on academic performance and on extracurricular achievement. I, I studied music in school, and not trying to be stereotypical here, but yeah, some of the best musicians I know sure. are Asian Americans, many of them second or third or fourth generation. Um, so what what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on this this third bucket, this personal qualities? It seems a little bit like a sham.
1: Yeah, um, the personality score. That Harvard says assesses qualities based on things like leadership, humor, likability, um, demonstration of character. So where do you get where do you get an evaluation of that? You know, um, in the. Where do, you, where do you normally get evaluations of those things? Well, usually you can't really evaluate it, but if you if there is any place where you can evaluate it, it's in the alumni interviews. And um, Asian Americans score just as high as whites in the alumni interviews, as uh, just as high as whites. Um, and yet for some reason on the personality score, so on all observable metrics of so-called personality, Um, Asian Americans are doing just fine, uh, highly comparable to whites. Um, But for some reason on all measures on the personality score, Asians at Harvard um, face the lowest personality score out of all of the races significantly under blacks and Hispanics who, interestingly enough, are actually the highest races on this personality score, and then even lower than even whites, significantly lower than even whites. And that score is the determinant factor for most of the applicants who go into Harvard. And so Asian Americans are by and large penalized for for this personality score, um, which there's really not much observable evidence to confirm what Harvard is trying to do here. Um, it does, I think, I think that it is, it is, it is a proxy Yeah, I, for I haven't
0: taken as deep a dive as you have, but that's, that's the read that I got when I looked at it, um, for the listener, I highly encourage you to look into this yourself. Yeah. You know, don't take my word, don't take Kenny's word. If, if you type in, um, Asians at right. Harvard or Asian Americans at in Harvard into the internet machine, you'll get a litany of results. It'll, it'll be about this, um, yeah, you might need to go to the third or fourth page if you use if you use right. Google, uh, but this this stuff is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So, so the write up for your book mentions yeah. one of the um, we'll, we'll say the opposition's goals uh, is inflaming anti Asian stereotypes. Um, can can you unpack that a little bit for us? Right. So, in order to
1: have enough. And so in order to be able to pull this off, Harvard and everybody who tries to discriminate against Asians, which a lot of public schools, especially gifted and talented schools are doing nowadays, they're trying to lower the number of Asians who go into their schools. They they have to create a narrative whereby Asians somehow don't deserve to get into these colleges and don't deserve to get into these gifted and talented programs. So the narrative that they come up with are to an effect, Asians are test taking robots with no personality. That is the, a theme that is recurrent in my book that you will see a lot of people who are opposed to meritocracy, meritocratic programs. A lot of people who are anti-Asian tend to stereotype and frame Asians in this way. Test taking nerds with no personality. And Harvard obviously does it by you know the personality score. Um, And then other schools do it by, and also by criticizing the test, by, by basically saying something to the extent of a standardized test is, is bad. The use of a standardized test is racist even. And Asians who do well in standardized tests only do well because, you know, they're coached or they're test prepping and, and those kinds of things. Um, And I mean, the reality is, I mean, there's truth in that. Of course, Asians test prep. For standardized tests, you know, but everybody else has the opportunity to test prep for standardized tests and a standardized test when done right, fundamentally measures both intelligence and preparation, which I think are both meritorious characteristics to get into a university or any sort of program. So, um, preparation speaking, you know, Asian Americans are prepare for tests. We study hard. We study twice as many hours as the average American does. And, it should be no wonder that we do well in tests and it should not, we
0: should not be uh, criticized for playing the game in that way. Are you suggesting that you just put in work and you work hard to get the thing that you want and it freaking works out in the end? That's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that interesting
1: that, that yeah, <laughs> because if you think about it, there's an actual <laughs> cheating scandal going on in this country today with regards to college admissions. Like people actually cheat to get into college. You know we we know what we know. Operation Varsity Blues. We know about the actresses who've been bribing kids to get recruited into these colleges. That's actually cheating. But taking a test, you know what's that's what's just super worked, funny. Man. When I work.
0: first <laughs> saw um, some of the big headlines about the actresses yeah. uh, and, and their shenanigans. My first reaction was, man, yeah. does the left not see that this is a slap in the face to the idea that there's this white privilege? If a white person who's the child of a literal celebrity mm-hmm. has to pull some crap like this, yeah. it seems like a really strong evidence that there is not mm. some mysterious white privilege. If, if there is, then how come some of the richest <laughs> white people can't, you know, take advantage of that. Uh, anyway, that's what I thought when I saw that story uh, hit the news. Goodness gracious!
1: Yeah, the idea of white, pri- yeah, the idea of white privilege is a misnomer. When they say white privilege, they really mean the privilege of a certain subset of whites. The the subset of whites that have come from because most whites are actually not like this at all, but there are a subset of whites that come from inherited wealth. That you know, stretch generations long into this country, that are socially very well connected, you know, maybe have bow ties and whatnot. And maybe those those are the people that you would call privileged. And I would say, yeah, sure, they're privileged, but I mean, uh, but I mean, they in some ways, you know, are still in a meritocratic system, they're still graded just like everybody else. You still have to perform well on a test. You still have to get good grades and those kinds of things. And there are a lot of privileged people who use that privilege for to, to waste away and they waste away their parents' money. And in two generations, they're broke as, as could be, just right back to where they started. So if you have privilege, it's about what you do with it. And I don't imagine that feeling guilty about it and having tears about it is is a productive way of u- utilizing yeah, the I, privilege
0: that you have. I fully agree. There's There are a lot of things wrapped up in that. The kind of class or economic um, mm-hmm. fluency, I guess. Ben Shapiro talks about this a bunch. It's, it's not like this rich ruling class is always the same people. People kind of float in and out of that group. But man you know all all of us are decently privileged mm-hmm. um especially of having been born here um yeah like that was just right. a cosmic roll of the dice born in in the luckiest place in the luckiest mm-hmm. time for christians for uh for people with fringe views mainstream views mm-hmm. you know black white whatever color man woman child uh, super grateful to be born here, uh, yeah. e- even though we're hearing that this, you know, this country's terrible and uh, everything about it's bad. And and someone somewhere is hunting down people and somewhere else there's secret cabals and uh, the theories go on and on. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. man i'm doing the best on this interview with actually getting to my questions (laughs) because i i usually chase some rabbits i've tried (laughs) you said like one or two things that reminded me of of larry elder or thomas howell and i didn't chase the rabbit i Mm. i stayed i stayed in the zone (laughs) uh but man yeah thinking about chasing the rabbit now i'm gonna i'm gonna read the question Uh, so it, it seems that the left Mm. tries to do one of two things. I think the, one of the, the second thing is really stupid, but they either try and remove Asians from minorities that count like, oh, they're not a real minority. You know, they're, they're Asians. Um, or they try and paint a picture that Asian Americans aren't doing as well as you are, which is absurd because again, the data is clear off the charts, you know, on the chart, but off the charts, successful, Hard work, number of hours studied, preparing for um, regular tasks, for professional certifications, for continuing ed exams. Well, the data is in, and it's empirical. It's you know, it's fact-based stuff. So mm-hmm. we know why they're doing it, but is it working? Are these tactics working? What can we do to combat this kind of ridiculous narrative?
1: Well, I would I would suggest actually conceding a couple of things to the left, um, which is actually kind of interesting when you think about it. Um, for example, the narrative that Asians aren't doing as well as they are. Well, there there is some truth to that because actually, if you look at the statistics, Asians are what like sixty. I mean, our household income is slightly above whites, but in the amount of hours that we study, it's significantly above whites. So what that kind of shows is that there is not a one-to-one, uh, just there's not a one-to-one correlation between, um, between just the amount of hard work that you do. And then I guess the level of economic success that you achieve, not even saying that economic success is the only success that we should be measuring. Um, but Asian Americans, there are issues and there are problems in our society. Um, that's for sure. Um, that means that you that that are unique to Asian Americans. I mean, Asian Americans have faced exclusion in this country before. You know, if not, they faced oppression in their home countries. They come here without with limited wealth, and yet they still achieve. And what what it shows me is that we shouldn't be thinking about Asians as like a privileged, so-called privileged minority. There are many people. There are many Asians who are not privileged, who nevertheless are able to, who live in, you know, Chinatown restaurants, shop owners, um, who survive on less than 20 K a year of income, whose kids, you know, go to gifted and talented programs and graduate from college and then do well, you know, from there. So, um, I think what it, what it should recognize is that we cannot divide people off of the basis of race alone, that there is a real cultural element that we have to
0: consider. Man, 100% agree. Um, if, if anything, you know, we, we think of race, we think of ethnicity, we think of uh, nationality and, you know, nationality, that's just the, the legal term you know where you are a citizen or countries that you share citizenship mm-hmm. with race is again that cosmic roll of the dice what color is your skin kind of what's your genetic makeup but ethnicity i think is the most salient uh point here which speaks to the cultural piece um mm-hmm. and yeah there are some tie-ins um mm-hmm. you know i i'm american as in i'm from here i'm from long island but uh there are little bits yeah. of culture that were brought in from my family, some of which is interesting. We did find out after the fact that Mobley, the the kind of the name and historically is from down south, but then, you know, also getting some some kind of ethnic influence from Germany, yeah. which is interesting. You know, it's just an uh, in, interrace family. Oh, um, interesting. No, 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 no. We, I've, yeah. I've always described myself as a mutt. Uh, we, we are incredibly, uh, uh my yeah. family's very, very colorful, uh, interracial relationships kind of run in the family. My wife is white. Um, when people see me on the street, I just look like, you know, running the mill black guy. I've got a, a decent, a decent medium Brown going here. Um, but culture. Yeah. Asians, it seems history bears out. And you'd mentioned this earlier have a culture of excellence. I don't know if you saw on LinkedIn, my, my personal brand statement is inspiring the pursuit of excellence and authenticity yeah. because that there's something to be said for valuing excellence. And I think if we speak culturally, Asians value excellence, kind of some standard virtues. I think that's one of the things that's setting black America behind is The typical Black American doesn't value success, hard work, um, you know, excellence, and everything that's wrapped up in that word, because what it means is studying hard, um, you know, long hours, maybe having to work more than some of your other colleagues. It's not because of their race or gender, it's because we are trying to pursue excellence, not ordinary. Uh, So I think you nailed it the culture piece. Well, what do you mean,
1: Joe, that you say a lot of... What do, you, what do you mean when you say that a lot of Black Americans don't necessarily value excellence? Um, do you... Like, if you're... a. And I, I do a lot of studying on this, and this is, like, so interesting to me. But if you're, like, a Black person who's, like, in rural Georgia and you really don't have a lot of opportunities and stuff like that, um, in your perspective in your perspective, are a lot of those people not valuing excellence or are they valuing excellence, but for some reason have their dream deferred in some
0: way? There's a lot there. So obviously, regardless, or not regardless, it doesn't matter what your race is or culturally where you come from, we're we're never going to have this kind of homogenous group think. Um, So, yeah, so we're individuals. I I think Mm -hmm. I I grew up in Virginia Beach, so I think my pursuits and dreams and stuff are probably different than rural Georgian, um, you know, comparable, comparably educated, comparable uh, kind of middle America person. Um, But when they set their sights on something, I think the starting point is what's different, Mm. but the outcome is directly determined by their level of effort. Um, Because I can tell you, you know, like a Frederick Douglass, I'm so glad that I'm not him because that man had to teach himself how to read. So if we want to talk about privilege, having the opportunity to have a system around me that taught me how to read and kind of, you know, taught me basic arithmetic and all this stuff. Uh, I, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Um, can't say mm. the same now. I think school's getting a little wonky uh, right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's and that's true. You know, it's funny that you said that you live in Long Island Oh, no, now I'm back in Virginia now. I think now. that the experience <laughs> of a black person in Virginia. Oh, you're not yeah. back in Virginia? Well, you lived in Long Island, right? <laughs> yeah. The experience of a black person in Long Island or Brooklyn or Harlem I mean, even the experience of a black person within the same city, but just in different boroughs, being a black person in Queens versus being a black person in the Bronx is different from each other and cannot, you cannot just say, Mm -hmm. oh, all black people have the same experience because I think the experience of a black person who lives in New York is going to be very different from the experience of a black person who lives in what I said, like rural Georgia.
0: Um. And uh, would you? Yeah, I, I agree say completely. Um, I I think to our detriment, um, saying "our" as in Black Americans, I think the the through line, um, the yeah. through line is that both of those experience kind of set atop um, the the Black American cultural basis, and you you can look to athletics, you can look to you know name your celebrity. Um, to find that picture from music we've got jay-z beyonce um to professional athletes to actors and actresses um and i I say this uh, not to be Mm -hmm. mocking people but for a long time it seems the things that are sexy to black america that are culturally lifted up are like Mm -hmm. cars clothes um the, the appearance of wealth, not necessarily, yeah. you know, what your balance sheet look like, what's your net worth, but the appearance of wealth. Um, that's what's being hoisted yeah. up. Now, I'll say that that influence reaches to both places. It reaches to Long Island. It reaches to rural um, Georgia. Uh, and I think that that is yeah. one of the biggest problems. And that's yeah. a place where a lot of prominent black Americans disagree with me. Larry Elder think it, thinks it's uh, fatherlessness, um, which is a huge problem um mm-hmm. other people think it's discrimination yeah. and disparities in education which we could talk about but i i agree mm-hmm. with thomas howell there there no yeah. just no we we're actually privileged in education mm-hmm. which is the whole deal with harvard you know I, mm-hmm. I i feel like i have a modest amount of education yeah. i shouldn't be able to get in harvard but hey i'm black i can mm-hmm. you know i probably can now um but yeah black right. culture which is Mm -hmm. us which prominent black people have hoisted up this this cultural Mm -hmm. statement um and it just i don't know it it makes me really upset because that stuff doesn't really get us anywhere and and we're putting all of our eggs into some really small baskets like music or athletics those those are not you know oh man am i gonna pull a joe biden Like, well, we need to learn things like coding (laughs) 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 or things that are valuable skills. Uh, Anyway, soapbox complete.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, there's no question that culture definitely matters, you know? And I mean, I have some my own criticisms of the Asian American community too. I mean, yes, we have, we live, we have, a lot of tools that what it takes to have stable top 35% of American lives, you know, but you know, we, there's sacrifices that are made there. There's, and you have to consider that. And, you know, you, you can, you can consider it and still make the same decision to raise your kids the same way. Um, But and many Asian Americans actually do raise their kids with with many different cultural traits that are that are that are very conducive. They want their kids to to, to succeed in this country on all different on all different measures, which I think is great. Um, but you know, we could uh, you know a- Asian Americans we could use a, some a dose of more artists, you know, and. And, you know, people who really go and, you know, impact the mainstream culture in that front, I would say. So that's part of the reason why I'm doing this book as well, you know, as kind of outreach to my Asian American community for that. You
0: know, I've never really thought about that. I guess I, I guess I can probably only think of three or four, uh, Asian, like big Asian actors. Um, you know, yeah, I'm terrible with names. <laughs> so, uh, and now I'm thinking, I don't think Jackie yeah. Chan counts because he's, uh, I don't think he considers himself American. Isn't he like a pop star over in Asia? But anyway, I, I'd say Jackie Chan's in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Jet Li, I guess I need someone that's not a martial mm-hmm. artist. Um, <laughs> and yeah. uh and these two ladies from, uh, like, I'm, my wife will tell you I'm terrible because pop culture isn't, like, a, a, a value of mine <laughs> not something. Um, but yeah, I, I
1: could, it's not mine you know, either. we could
0: look them up on IMDb. And I'll be like, yes, they were in these movies, these TV shows. Yeah. What is her name? Um, she's the main character in, in that yeah. show with uh, other guy, main character, Kiefer Ke- Sutherland. I mean I've never heard of that, that show? <laughs> the show you're no, out. The, oh, Designated Survivor, the FBI know. agent. I don't even know. Um, she's in a bunch of stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I don't even know. doing a terrible job. We don't call on us for uh, trivia night with movies and celebrities. Uh-huh. Yeah, don't call so, me either. <laughs> a, a big emphasis of the show yeah. is, you know, I, I had a more provocative tagline. It was coming out of the conservative closet. I've learned that Google doesn't like that, um, so I'm keeping it. But <laughs> I'm keeping it in the show. But I changed the public facing <laughs> one that's on the the album art and the website metadata and whatnot uh, to confidence you need to face the day. Uh, which is something I yeah. want to do. I, I I got some early feedback yeah. from people. People are afraid to speak out, afraid to do things. So I saw I saw in your um, your bio that you went to Davidson College, uh, which which I imagine is you know as most colleges mm-hmm. are left leaning. Um, yeah. So absolutely. So there you co-founded the Young Americas for Freedom chapter, which is basically. That's that's as coming out as coming out can be. Uh, so, what kind of what led you to do that, and what what's your experience been as an openly conservative person, just here in America?
1: Well, you you uh, you learn who your friends you learn who your friends are pretty quick. <laughs> Let's let's say that. Was college like Um, the the coming out for you? Were you kind of I was
0: very okay.
1: Yeah, and I was very well known and it was a very small college. I was probably, you know, if not the number one public figure in my college, probably like number two or number three. Um people your reputation is hinged on that fact. And you do have to make a stand for yourself, but you gain you stick with it and you continue to speak out. You take criticism on the chin and you win allies and you win people to your heart. And I'll tell you the reward of it is, I would say is greater than the cost um, because I have the best friends that I have in my life. And, you know, I, I have genuine great relationships with them and everything like that. I'm doing something, you know, that is impacting people, that is impacting our country and writing this book, you know, um, and I'm winning people over. Um, you, you you have enough conviction and people recognize that. People will respect that. Obviously leftists won't, but the ordinary person will. And so you get a lot of, you get a lot of private conversations with people who are like, Kenny, don't tell, don't say this in public, but I support you and stuff like that. And you kind of treasure those little conversations too, because it shows that, you are providing value in this discourse. Um, so I would say
0: the benefits are great. Yeah, I, <laughs> I had the same experience. Uh, you summarized it really well. I think the, the positive outweighs the negative. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that negative is still there. If, if you're not out of the conservative closet, it's not as if um, you're really adamant liberal friends um like you more or their opinions have changed they just don't know uh, so yeah but it's not people yeah. it's not as bad as you think but also it's necessary because you know we should expect people to believe whatever lies there are about us if we all keep to ourselves you know um right
1: and, you know, fundamentally, like, you have to be truthful. I think that if you really want to enjoy the fruits of what what tr- of what this country can offer you and what this truth can offer you, you do sort of have to take a leap of faith. It's kind of like what Kierkegaard said, you know, if you want to experience true knowledge, sometimes you have to take a leap of faith. And this is kind of what I did, and I've experienced... It, in, in a great well capacity.
0: Said. All right. Well, I'll do a little uh, commercial for myself and then we will uh, give you the last question and take it behind the paywall. Uh, so speaking of the paywall, um, two ways that you can get behind the paywall, guys, you can go to com, or I'm sorry, you can go to uh and support my community there. Or you can go to the Show.com and hit the support the show button. Uh, fair warning, uh, this should be fixed by the time this episode airs. But um, I'm, I'm doing some back-end stuff on the website. So I did, I think I disconnected the support the show tab. Uh, if it's still disconnected, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not the, the best uh, site administrator in the world. Uh, don't tell my real job. Um Yeah, You can also reach out to me on Twitter if you just search The Joe Mobley Show. I'll come up, or you can email ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. Again, if you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and uh, like and review the show, especially if you're you're not given a five-star rating. If you're given one through four, definitely leave me a review. I'll see it. I'll read it. I'll get some good feedback from what you have to say. And now we will have the last question before we take it behind the paywall. Um, beside your book, uh, which comes out this summer, guys, July, 2021, that book again is an inconvenient, or I'm sorry, I almost said an inconvenient truth. You did not write that. So well, <laughs> yeah, that book that you can on. get by Kenny Shu is an inconvenient minority. The Ivy league admissions cases and the attack on Asian American excellence Definitely check this book out, guys. I'm going to be uh, getting it as soon as it releases. Um, beside that book, Kenny, if you could get everyone on Earth to read and understand one book, what would it be and why? And you, okay, awesome. Mirror Christ,
1: Mirror Christianity by C.S. Lewis for sure. I it's if you want to be able to understand. It, I think everybody is wondering, is there a purpose in this world? And if you're not wondering, you think you're probably too busy and you're going to go through your life and you're going to go through all the life and then one day you're going to arrive at a time where you're like, wow, I'm going to die in like 20 years. Don't don't be that guy and don't wait until that time. Um, the time to discover the truth is now. Um, you should be be considering... You should be considering what what really matters in this world today. So
0: I would recommend Mere Christianity. By yeah, that's C.S. a Lewis. good one. Um, anything by C.S. Lewis is a good one, uh, but that I think <laughs> that one is one of the the staples. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's
0: really Great good. Staple well, highlight. Kenny, thanks so much for joining the show. It was a pleasure to have you, sir.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you, Joe. Um, I'm just thankful for your podcast. Um, people who are interested in the book, you know, go ahead and pre-order it and everything like that so it can deliver you on the right time. Um, it tells the story of a minority that is often long long ignored, but in our current racial discourse, needs to have some more stories told of them, especially in regards to the ideology that's going around today. So thank you so much again, Joe.
0: Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joe Mobley Show. Remember to subscribe and make sure you don't miss out on future content. You can always show your support by leaving a review or making a financial contribution by going to thejoemobleyshow.com and hitting support the show. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.